Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, Poisonese. This episode is landing during our mini-break before starting Season 3 of The Poisoner's Cabinet. This is when Nick and Sinead are spending their time planning lots of new content for the new season and also, somewhat unexpectedly, are also recovering from a mild bout of COVID. We're fine, don't worry. As we often do during our seasonal breaks, we're bringing you another one of our exclusive Patreon episodes for free to keep your ears happy and to give you a taste of what we do over on our subscriber channel. The episode you're about to hear was originally recorded in January 2022, when Sinead was suffering through dry January and Nick was full of cider, and it contains a selection of smaller stories which we've called the Compendium of Stupidity for reasons that will soon become clear. For those of you who don't know, Patreon is a subscriber channel where you can support our podcast for $5 a month and for that you get an extra episode every single week as well as other fun content. On Patreon, we cover stories featuring poison and all manner of mayhem, including modern cases, cults, and some quite gruesome not-safe-for-work stories. This is where you'll find our take on cases including Rasputin, Ed Gein, Jonestown, and the 1904 Olympics, trust me, look it up, as well as extra special episodes with extra special guests. Patreon is a wonderful community with lots of great chat and debates amongst our subscribers about each episode. And best of all, it's completely flexible. If you subscribe, you'll get access to the full back catalogue. So it's always worth going over and having a look or feel free to ask us questions about it. So we'll be back very soon for season three of The Poisoner's Cabinet. In the meantime, make sure you are following us on social media for regular updates of what we're doing next and enjoy this Patreon taste. Hello, Poison Patreons. Welcome to another episode of Deadly Nightcaps with me, Sinead. And me, Nick. Bringing you more tales of poisoning and murder cases, old and new, all washed down with drinks that make your woods haunted. Thanks to all of our lovely, delicious new Patreon subscribers. We hope you're having a lovely week. Yes, indeed. Hope everyone has having a delightful time out there. Indeed. Every week with that intro, I look round my room and go, what, what, what can I use as a drinks that make your something something? And I just go, your picture's on the wall. What? No. No, don't do that. I'm joking. <laughs> uh, how are you, Nick? I'm all right. Yeah, it's The right. start of a new week. So a many possibilities week. and excitement to be had. Yeah, still feeling the joys of January, I see. Well, well we shall see. Oh, we shall see. Until Blue Monday hits. <laughs> so far, so good. That's nice. And also, cool. I'm not doing dry January, so that makes things a million times better. Okay, you're just going to rub that in every really week am. now, aren't you? Yeah, absolutely. And every, not every week, every day, every hour I text you. Just every so often you come over and twist the knife another quarter inch. Yep. Well, speaking of which, what are you drinking, Nick? I'm having a gin and tonic. <gasps> what? Do they mix? They apparently... I've heard it tell. I'm trying something new. I Ooh. put some tonic in my gin. Oh, is it delicious? What gin are you having? I have... This is... This is just a tanqueray, this one. Oh, oh just a tanqueray. Just a tanqueray. I did, just I a wonderful gin. I perused the selection of gin <laughs> and I thought, no, I'm going to keep it classic, keep it simple. 
Do anything too fancy. Well, I am enjoying a no-grony. Are you? Now, I am. are you enjoying it? I actually you am. have a no-grony. I have a no-grony. So this is a non-alcoholic cocktail. This is by Seedlip, I think, actually. I think it's really, really small print on the bottle. But it's a tiny, tiny bottle, and it's called no-grony. And it gives you all the flavours and the spice and the aromatics, but unfortunately no booze with it. Yes, no, it? that's the best, the best part of Negroni. Is just how wasted you get. I'm yes, sorry. and jolly you get. Yeah, with it. I, I get no. So if I had a Negroni and I did not have those side effects, I would be bitterly, bitterly disappointed. <laughs> as bitter as the Negroni itself. Yeah, more so, <laughs> more so. I feel because that's what that's what I go to a Negroni for: jollity and silliness. You don't go for taste or anything. No, absolutely no. Not. screw it. No, <laughs> I'm surprised you don't just drink White Lightning or something, Nick, with that kind of logic. <gasps> I just want to not feel feelings. Gosh. <laughs> I don't know the way you're saying it. It's like I just want to get wasted, and it's fine. <laughs> no, no, no. The Negronis in particular have some bizarre effect on me. They do that, that other alcohol doesn't. Just like a gin and tonic, yeah, it's very pleasant. But I don't, I don't get drunk. But Negronis send me insane. They do in a good way. In a good way, not not an absence way, but a good way. I will say this: Negroni, Negroni. It sounds so bad to say yeah. it. It sounds oh sinful. It's it's a really nice cocktail if you don't mind if you actually like your bit of cocktails and you like the taste of Negroni and it does grow on you. It's very close to a taste of Negroni, so it, it's quite pleasant. I'm finding it perfectly pleasant. Well, I'm glad you're enjoying it. I am. I'm gonna 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 sip you it now. Oh, it's not the same. <laughs> I think it's really nice, actually. Of all of some I've tasted that are just like, what is this? This is just air. That's not a bad one. Mm. Well, I'm glad you found something jolly. Anything or anyone you would like to poison this week, Nick? No, I don't think so. No. 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 I was just, I was just racking my brains. And I thought, no, everything's been quite pleasant so far. It has, hasn't it? Yeah, Even dry been... January has proven to yeah. be quite pleasant so far for me. I had had a nice weekend of playing some games, which was good fun. Playing some yes. games, so you did. That was quite pleasant. That was nice. So no, no one has earned my wrath as of yet. But it is it is early, so I, I leave that proviso <laughs> to change my mind later on in the week. I know we're we're both in very good moods for January. Normally, January is a time of misery and sadness. Oh, also, we're normally drunk. <laughs> Yeah. I'm now on the in the dry January, the first week, so I'm riding that wave of, I mean, you know, actually, it's really feeling quite zen and lovely, and I don't think I actually need alcohol anymore. Give it a week. <laughs> and then the killings will begin. Well, Nick, shall we talk about murder and poison and silly things for a bit? All the fun stuff in life. All the fun stuff in life. Well, it's my episode this week, and I've got something a bit different for you. It is a compendium episode. Ooh. Now you're stealing the compendium format, are you? I am going with a duo rather than a trilogy. Oh, okay. Or it may turn into a trilogy if I don't have enough time <laughs> and I need to pad for a bit. No, going with the compendium episode. Also, you don't. You who made you the mayor of compendium episodes? Me. I did. <laughs> I did. I did the first one. Therefore, they all belong to me. Well, there's a new sheriff in town, mate, so buckle up. (laughs) So it's a companion episode, as we've said before. You research little stories and you kind of think, oh, they're really good. Can we make a whole episode out of them? These are both, in the spirit of Dry January, uh, drink-related, in a way. Okay. Mm -hmm. Uh, One is a story of a murderer who almost escaped justice. (sighs) But the first one I'm going to tell you, with a few other little stories in there as well, is a tale of how beer can kill you. Okay. It can, you know. I I can think of a few ways. Sneaks into your house at night, strangles you. <laughs> that, that's that's one way. That's one way. It wasn't the first one that left to mind, I must admit. No. Okay. Well, the reason that I found the story that I'm about to tell you is that I did go down 
a Google rabbit hole, as I do when researching, trying to find interesting stories of murder and death and reasons why we're on a watch list. But I ended up looking up weird and stupid stories of death and interesting (laughs) ways in which a person can die. And I really did find some gems and you don't have to go that far. And then you suddenly find things and go, why did I never hear about this? These aren't murders, but they are bizarre. And there's a few I could not read out. And in my research, I found the story of John Cummings, who after seeing a circus knife swallower, decided that he would start swallowing knives completely. And he swallowed four knives, three of which he passed and had no ill effects. Okay, well, yeah. that's impressive. Oh, he's got a very, very straight intestine. That's probably it. By the <laughs> no, time he no, was no done. turns or corners in there. It's just straight in and out. <laughs> yes, he was a long, long man. He, he went on to swallow 14 knives. Um, and then after some days of abdominal pain, they mm, all came out. They all came out. Along with most of the rest of his insides as well. <laughs> yes, he was a thin man by the end of it. He finally swallowed 20 knives and, and a switchblade, I think. But he'd only passed the switchblade after a few days and four years later of pain he eventually died and the autopsy found that there were between 30 and 40 fragments of metal wood and blade and horn in his stomach this is just a stupid man yes a stupid man there is a condition i think actually people they eat pins and they eat metal they've got compulsion this is true this is true yes so i thought he was quite an idiot yes actually i knew someone who had paperclip i actually knew them yes i actually knew them yes this person I i went to college with they had a thing there, not folded up one, so they they tend to go, they tend to yeah, tend to pass through because they were sort of more rounded. But yeah, she used to eat paperclips. Oh my god! Did beautiful. she ever explain why? No, it's, as you say, it was just one of those weird compulsions um, that yeah had just had to be done. Nice. So, a, a couple of other little ones as well of nice ways to go. Governor Morris, first name Governor Morris, one of the founding fathers of America. He died in 1816 while he was trying to clear his urinary tract from an infection clearing a blockage using a whalebone ow ow (laughs) ow ow some people like that oh Oh. come on (laughs) a whalebone away (laughs) yeah i just he thought that that was the way to fix it that was the way to to clear clear a blockage out clear the blockage if you got if you if your pipes are backed up or whatever you you get the rod in there and you give it a good old Scrubbing. clear the traps exactly it. clear it all out <laughs> poke something down there yeah there you go I understand the terrifying logic exactly uh, not to outdo the americans british mp sir william payne galway galway it might have been pronounced in 1881 i just love this sentence he died after sustaining severe injuries when he fell on a turnip while hunting <laughs> Nice. Death by turnip. He was savaged by a turnip. Savaged by a turnip. (laughs) It's just a very interesting footnote, isn't it? That's brilliant. So he what? (laughs) He was impaled upon a turnip. He fell on a turnip while hunting. Right. Um, I didn't. I need to research his whole story and obviously tell his tale. He he may well have. He's he's hunting with a gun. He tripped on a turnip and blew his head off or something. Well, maybe, maybe that was no. His internal injuries, internal. Messi just must have landed on yeah, the right. turnip okay, just yes. in the wrong place. Yeah, right. Absolutely. Accidentally, accidentally fell on a turnip. Oh God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like hell. <laughs> He'd learned from Governor exactly. Morris. He was he was into some kinky shit. <laughs> Oh, God. Oh, yeah. That had not occurred. I'm sure A&E is full of people who (laughs) fell on stuff. (laughs) Oh, God.
God. He was the first instance of that. And he's an MP as well. He's a British MP. Well, of course, that's what happened. You're an MP. You've got to be into some weird shit. He died brutally after accidentally brutally sitting on a turnip whilst hunting. <laughs> Oh, God. I don't think we're going to top that now. Uh, the, the final one, I didn't know this. So Clement Vallandigham, Good name. the US politician, he died in 1871 after accidentally shooting himself in the stomach with a pistol while demonstrating how a man he was defending in court couldn't have actually shot his victim because his victim shot himself in the stomach. <laughs> nice. He was representing a defendant named Thomas McGeehan, who was accused of killing a man in a barroom brawl in Ohio. And he wanted, Clement wanted to demonstrate that the victim had shot himself while trying to retrieve his pistol from his pocket. He was kneeling position. He was coming up and that and the gun went off and he shot himself. And while demonstrating to the other attorneys, he thought he was using an unloaded pistol. He went, look, and then shot himself in the stomach. Uh, The good thing is the defendant got off. Nice. Okay. He, he he very much proved his point and they went, oh, okay. Uh, Thomas uh, McKeon got off. He was acquitted, but he was shot to death four years later in a saloon. Nice, nice. Okay. Yes. So there you go. Yes, it's it's a crazy, crazy world mm, of crazy death. I don't think we'll top Sir William Payne Galway. No. Let's, let's, let's research history. No, more. No, he, he certainly <laughs> didn't top anything. He was quite the opposite. <laughs> <laughs> that was a good day for him. <laughs> what, what vegetables had he started with and he'd upgraded to turnips? <laughs> Anyway, Isn't that great to a turnip. Just, I mean, it's an odd. It, I mean, leap. It's, a, it's a peculiar shape, isn't it? A turnip. It is. Maybe that was his More thing. Bulbous than. Uh, I'm this gonna, has gone I'm to a place. Shut up now. It's, it's <laughs> going to get weird if I carry on. Yeah, <laughs> and me thinking this episode wouldn't last long enough. Here it is. On to our other story, and, and it's a serious yet slightly amusing story of bizarre deaths. You all know that I'm off the drink this month, and it's a good thing because sometimes the drink can kill you. And in 1814, in London, it literally did. In 1814, the Mew Brewery was one of the largest in London. I know this story. You know this story? (laughs) It was the largest other than Whitbread, which is still going, operated in the Horseshoe Brewery at the junction of Tottenham Court Road and Oxford Street, which are the two of the most popular streets in London. At the time, they were busy, uh, but it's also, at the time, right in front of St Giles Giles Rookery, which is a perpetually decaying slum. Jolly. Seemingly always on the verge of social and economic collapse, it was said, and was the inspiration for Gin Lane by Hogarth. Most of London is like that, to be honest. Yes, this one was particularly (laughs) shitty, though. Particularly Ginny. Now, the Muir Brewery only brewed porter, which, as we know, is a sort of stout. And they were known, the Mew family of brewers, for their incredibly large brewing vats. The owners and the family had been constructing the biggest vats in the universe for years. Uh, 20,000 barrels worth brewing at any one time. So Richard, Sir Richard Mew, his son, Sir Henry, had followed in the family tradition and the horseshoe brewery contained a 22 foot tall vat that was capable of holding 18,000 imperial barrels of porter. That's a lot of booze. It's a lot of booze. Uh, these vats were fortified by 81 metric tons of iron hoops. So you can imagine the Hooper had a hell of a day when that order came in. Mm. Mm. So they have these giant vats. They have many vats of similar sizes, all containing the porter that has been brewing for several months as it matures. But around 4.30 in the afternoon on the 17th of October, 1814, 
One of the storehouse clerks notices that one of the 700-pound iron bands around the 22-foot vat had slipped, which is not a good sign, but these things do not, happen. No. They happen. The vat that contains 3,500 imperial barrels of porter, 33 tonnes worth of it, it seems okay. It's not uncommon hoop slippage, so he makes a note to fix it. And just as the foreman was writing a letter to one of the owners going, you really must look at your barrels and get them fixed, the hoop fell off completely and the vessel burst. Mm. Yes, 33 tonnes of liquid. The pressure of the burst caused a stopcock of a neighbour neighbouring vat to fly off. All the other barrels were shattered by the force and around 320,000 gallons of porter was released. Mm-hmm. you got to wonder what will happen when that happens. Uh, some sort of tidal way through the streets of London. Well, the rear wall of the brewery is completely destroyed. Yeah. That's how much booze there was. And a 15-foot tidal wave of porter swept <laughs> into New Street, into the slum. This is probably both a welcoming and terrifying sight to people. <laughs> free beer! Free killer beer! The blob. Oh, it's got to be in his clutches. So two houses are destroyed immediately. Two more were very badly damaged. But the problem is, is that the beer is literally tsunamiing through the slums sweeping everything away in its path and it has fatal consequences very sadly a four-year-old girl was having a tea party with her friend and her mother and i know this is really sad but also picture the genteel scene of china cups and finger sandwiches of my tea vicar and then a tidal weight of beer sweeps through the house and knocks them all out the door and the four-year-old girl was one of the fatalities involved yeah the second it's sad but also funny the second house that was hit there was an irish wake going on (laughs) seems appropriate surely (laughs) yes for for a young boy who had died in a non-beer related accident but there is a wake going on the family and the mourners they're all probably drinking and singing and then they're hit by a beer tsunami everyone in the house died from that that's that's dramatic but if you're gonna go i mean that's that's if that's, you're gonna go way to go though isn't it <laughs> this is it it's it's very sad people lost their lives but there's still a little bit of you going well if you're gonna go what happened uh they all drowned in some beer at a wake <laughs> there was a teenager who was who was crushed by the falling wall that's uh, she fun. worked in the local yeah and no, it's less fun she worked in the local pub the trouble with the with the flood of beer you would think in this day and age as well that it was like okay we'll just it, it might knock some things over but it'd be swept away but these are the slums there's no drainage so everything is flooded everything is pretty gross actually no one died in the warehouse whoever's standing the foreman is standing there drenched in beer <laughs> holding the note he was going to send off looking at the chaos in front of him going well i'm fired now of course when the news of this accident spreads people leap into action and they run to get some free beer collecting as much beer as humanly possible that's wash buckets anything dancing and drinking in the streets swimming yeah. doing the backstroke there would be reports of mass drunkenness and alcohol poisoning because the beer isn't suitable to drink it's not ready <laughs> people may be embellishing the story over time um, some say there were no reports of such behavior in the press but others saying it was a, po- a positively yeah, carnival yeah. atmosphere while dead bodies are floating past yeah yeah but the area was completely devastated and people came from all around to see the mess and the broken vats at the warehouse there's not much else to do those days so it's like yeah let's come and see this site of devastation the staff charged admission for people coming around and seeing the site 
a lot of people though who came to the area did donate to the families of of the victims or the people who were killed in the accident not really a victim a victim of the beer a victim beer yeah another wake for the mourners from the first wake was held at a nearby pub which was probably a very very tense occasion <laughs> because you've got to think if a wave of beer has hit you what is coming next <laughs> just loads of pizza there so all in all eight people died in what was known as the london beer flood including three children an inquest that was held on the 19th of october returned a verdict that these people had lost their lives casually accidentally or by misfortune casually losing your life casually okay yeah it's 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 a bit mean yeah the incident was deemed an act of god by the insurers (laughs) okay what way can we possibly not pay out of this? Well, it <laughs> meant that the brewery did not have to pay compensation to the families. Yeah. As I said, a lot of people raised money for them, but they didn't have to pay compensation. And an act of God, if he is going to send a tidal wave of beer, but the disaster cost the company £23,000 in that day and age. They petitioned Parliament to help them out and they recovered about £7,000 worth, saving them from bankruptcy. But the brewery was ultimately demolished in the 1920s and the Dominion Theatre is built on the site today. Uh, The Mew and Co brewery went into liquidation in 1961 and as a result of the accident, large wooden tanks were phased out across the brewing industry and replaced (laughs) with lined concrete vessels. They'd learnt their lesson. (laughs) So yes, that was the London beer flood. There were two similar sort of incidents. You also have the Dublin whiskey fire of 1875 this is where about fifty-four thousand pounds worth of whiskey in a storehouse somehow caught fire okay and a stream of fiery whiskey started pouring out of the doors <laughs> and windows straight down the street this is dublin Fire's not going to stop anyone from getting a drink. No, no, absolutely. No, everyone was in the street gathering up the burning liquid. 13 people died as a result and 24 people in hospital, all due to alcohol poisoning. All due to internal flames. (laughs) (laughs) Flaming shots. Yeah, because again, the whiskey's not ready to drink. And they're just like, yeah, just fine, just get the drink. And it's on fire. It's on fire. (laughs) (laughs) Which doesn't help. That's just dressing. It's fine. It's still good drink. There was also the great molasses flood in boston do you know that story i know of that story yes yeah it's uh, it's only small details i have but in 1919 it's it's a 12,000 ton tank of molasses burst and flooded the streets at 35 miles an hour and that had the biggest death toll 21 dead and 150 injured see that because that's gonna because molasses it's thick and heavy Oof. and it, if it hits you it's gonna knock you if well that, it's like that weight of it yeah, is, is it like, it's going to be like having to get bloody sandbag in the face, or, and also like tar as well. Yeah. It's just going to it's going to stick to you. It's going to burn your skin off and be. Bleh. They say that the area around there for years and still does today smells of sweet molasses. It doesn't. No, it doesn't. It does. But they did say for ages, like, oh, it smells very nice here. It's because everyone died. Because everyone's dead. Is the sweet dead. stench of death. <laughs> <laughs> That's the slogan for people yeah, visiting. Absolutely, molasses. The sweet stench of death. <laughs> Little tip for you, molasses. I wonder if I've said this on the show before, but I'm going to say it again. Apparently, molasses in milk, brilliant hangover cure, or something you should have after, if you've been out for a whole night drinking and dancing. I learned this from a guy who worked at the Appleton Rum Factory in Jamaica, and he swore swore by it, and he's like, we'd be out dancing in Montego about four in the morning, you'd take a big spoonful of molasses in milk, 
set about three alarm clocks because you will be out cold but it replaces all of the natural vitamins and everything gives you the best sleep ever but you need to set loads of alarm clocks to wake yourself up and then yeah and then you're rocking the next day and he was like yeah that's what i was doing last night and now i'm here for my job like hey so you work at a rum factory you're still drunk mate well perhaps we should try that but one 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 day we need we need to do a, a test of hangover cures oh yeah oh maybe that really, will be really drunk and we'll do a variety of hangover cures yeah i'm tasting non-alcoholic stuff this month and doing videos next month it'll all be about how to cure my hangover <laughs> <laughs> right okay sounds like a plan so, hey. have, so molasses and milk is one of them so indeed Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie, All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Would you like another story? No. No, that's it. You're done? Oh, go on then. Oh, okay. Now story number two. Only if it's about turnips. It's not about turnips. I could work a turnip in there. Please do. Please do. Okay. It involves a murder of a turnip (laughs) at a trial by spirits. Uh, See what I did there? See what I did there? Uh, Oh, God, the look on your face like, shut up, woman. (laughs) (laughs) Insurance broker Stephen Young was standing trial for murder in 1994 in England. Quite recent. And the case seemed pretty cut and dried. The 35-year-old from Kent, (gasps) Pembry, had allegedly gunned down two acquaintances in their home in Brighton in a cold-blooded attempt to snatch their money. And their turnips. He knew that they had the good turnips. They had the dream turnip they had the in good there. Turnips. The good turnips. <laughs> no, just money. But he was going to get the money to buy more turnips. Okay. Stephen was facing bankruptcy. He's been buying too many turnips. <laughs> That's it. I've also, I accidentally wrote bankruptcy in capital letters. And I didn't change it. Yes, and I didn't change it. And I went, oh, I must remember not to shout that. Uh, I just can't be bothered. And I got drunk. He was was facing bankruptcy. Uh, So I didn't listen to my own advice. But there we go. This was fun. There's jolly, very jolly chap. It is. So he's facing bankruptcy, having apparently frittered away his cash on gambling and good times. Now he's amassed mountains of debt in his business and personal life. So now he needs money badly. And it just so happened that he knew that car dealer Harry Fuller kept flipping great wads of cash in his house. <laughs> flipping great wads of flipping cash. Flipping great wads of cash. I'm doing all the Blackadder references in this episode. Okay, I'm just sneaking right. them in there. So he thought, why not make an appointment to see him at home about a car? Because that's where all good car deals are made in your house. Maybe it was about insurance claims. Maybe he had set up on some sort of false premise. Who knows? But either way, in February in 1993, Stephen came to Harry's home armed with a pistol. Stephen had been the treasurer of a local rifle club, but he'd also had access to plenty of unregistered weapons. So finding a gun 
wasn't an issue for him. So we've got to think he doesn't have the best intentions when turning up for his no, meeting you, with Harry. If you arrive at a business meeting with a gun, I think generally there's some bad, bad feeling going on there. Or that you just know how to negotiate. <laughs> That, that is that, yes. Fair, fair a gun point. helps. A gun, yes. With all negotiations. Can't, can't deny that, actually. Yes, no, fair point. I must remember that. When he entered Harry's home, it doesn't take long before he draws the gun and he shoots Harry dead. Shoots him in the head. See, this is not a good negotiation. No, he didn't even try. No. Harry wasn't alone. Stephen also discovered that Harry's wife, Nicole, was in the house and he shot her four times. Apparently, during this attack, she had crawled to the bedroom, I think it was, and she had managed to dial 999 during the attack and her screams could be heard in the recording. It would be this later is not played a jolly story. It's not a jolly story, but don't, it's... Well, but stay with me. With the couple dead, Stephen thought it best to try and cover his crime, maybe make it look like a drug deal had gone wrong. Now, whether Harry and Nicole or Stephen were involved in drugs, I have no idea. I'm going to venture that they weren't because Stephen decided the best way to make it look like a drug bus gone wrong was to scatter powdered sugar all over <laughs> Harry's body and the flat. OK, now that's quite jolly. <laughs> <laughs> Bags of sugar just flung about the place. Drug bus to the like century. A Christmas scene? It's like, oh, it's snowing. As you, you do with the, the sieve and the icing sugar. <laughs> Maybe he got carried away and started just dusting all of the thing. Make, make it look lovely in here. He was doing snow angels. Like, oh shit, I gotta go. No one would ever know. <laughs> yeah, because there's no way that if you see a dusting of, of, you know, drugs, you don't test for them. You just assume that it's all drugs. Everything, everything powdery is drugs. Bear that yes. in mind. The next day, as the pair lay dead in their home, Stephen was off depositing £6,000 that he had stolen from their home in his bank account. But it didn't take the authorities long to track Stephen down. Apparently, a recording of his voice during another meeting with Harry was played on Crime Watch, and an anonymous tip-off led the police straight to him. Now, at first, he denied it all. He claimed that he had arrived uh, at their house, yes, and merely found the poor victim's bodies, but he did see a mysterious face in the upstairs window who vanished. I think they lived in a flat. <laughs> He also claimed later that, well, well, he had to stay quiet because the real murderer had threatened him or he couldn't say anything. But it definitely wasn't him. So they should definitely let him go on based on that evidence. Definitely, definitely. Well, he'd also been caught on CCTV, leaving the crime scene. So he's kind of screwed. And it was a horrible murder, a terrible, terrible tragedy. And he was found guilty at trial. And cheers erupted in the courtroom as justice was handed out. Sussex police detective Graham Hill said there was relief when the case was finished. Obviously, all people that were involved in the prosecution were pleased that the verdict was one of guilty because, as you can imagine, a huge amount of work goes into a case like this. So, case closed. No, no, it isn't. <laughs> I was going to say, if it was, that's... that's... That's that a terrible a, story. That was, that was a terrible story. <laughs> <laughs> one month after the trial ended and Stephen was already serving his sentence... The presiding judge ordered that a mistrial had to be recorded and that the whole process would have to be done again. This is thanks to some information that had arisen and had ended up on the front page of the News of the World. The headline read, Murder Juries Ouija Board Verdict. <laughs> okay. Subheading, booze, dirty jokes, and then the Ouija board. <laughs> Sounds like a great evening. <laughs> the youngest member of the jury, a 24-year-old man, had come forward to the authorities. Whether he had come forward or whether the information had slipped out, maybe to a member of the press, we don't know. What had emerged 
is that he revealed that the jury, when they had been sequestered in the old ship hotel during the trial, the jury obviously have to stay in a hotel, don't talk to anyone, can only hang out with each other. Four of them had gotten a bit merry one night. A few drinks were had and some conversation was exchanged. And then they decided as they knocked back the spirits, why not ask the spirits about the case itself? Brilliant. I think I actually remember this. (laughs) (laughs) As the other jurors slept, the quartet made a Ouija board out of a piece of paper and they got a hotel room wine glass while they were full and they put a finger on top of the glass and the juror described what happened. They asked the spirit to guide the glass over the letters of the alphabet or the words yes and no. One juror, a man named Ray, took charge, addressed the spirit, And within a matter of moments, the glass was moving and the spirit revealed itself to be Harry Fuller. Oh, God. Ray asked, who killed you? The glass spelt out, Stephen Young done it. He said, how? The glass spelled, shot. I don't know whether they're thinking shots then or kind of gunshot. They asked what they should do. Hmm. The glass spelled out, vote guilty tomorrow. You can probably sense that the spirit is getting annoyed at this point. Yeah. Vote guilty, for God's sake. You, why are you asking? And also, specific. I mean, I think traditionally, these sorts of things are quite vague. And you have to sort of interpret the the instructions given by the the spirits and things. That have, <laughs> um, this, this is quite direct, quite to the point. Yeah, it's so, you would you yeah. would think it might spell out guilty, yeah, but exactly. vote not, guilty, go, not vote guilty tomorrow. Is, tomorrow, is, specifically is, tomorrow. <laughs> I know what date is happening. Vote guilty yeah. tomorrow. <laughs> Don't waste my time. So yes, the group retired to their rooms and they had agreed not to tell the others what they had done. But when news of their actions got out, it did throw the trial up in the air mm, because following the newspaper revelations, the court of appeal quashed the double murder conviction of Stephen Young and they ordered a retrial. Uh, The Lord Chief Justice, Lord Taylor, said he had heard arguments from both sides in the Court of Appeal and the prosecution tried to argue that the court shouldn't elevate a drunken experiment to say that it had influenced proceedings. You can't just say that because they got drunk and did a Ouija board that this made their decision. Of course, they based it on everything that was in court, but ultimately they didn't convince the judge and a second trial was ordered. So Stephen Young was found guilty once again. Yeah, surprise. Yeah, five-week hearing. It still took another five weeks, another load of public money that was spent Mm. in December 1994, and he was sentenced, he was convicted. The drunken actions of the jury, either bored or shaken up by the violence of the crime or just fuddled with drink, nearly cost Harry and Nicole's family their right to justice. So that's another reason why you should never mess with Ouija boards. Yeah, I'm sure that's the reason why. (laughs) <laughs> well that is the story of the ouija board jury and the I mean, london beer flood and the turnip man and the turnip man the turnip man i want to hear more about the turnip man to be honest um, i see if i can find some while we're talking <laughs> i mean why why would you do a ouija boardy thing that's that's just just entirely stupid and there's obviously one of the juror people there entirely convinced that they know what's going on of the, of the guilt and persuading the others to do it. Well, it just seems like they're bored and they're just in the in the in the hotel trying to pass the time and kind of go. Oh, oh, someone thinks they have the sight, or someone thinks, oh my goodness, we'll ask the spirits about what happened, mm. and it leads to the trial nearly being thrown out. <laughs> Stupid thing to be doing. That's very, that's very, <laughs> I don't, that's very silly. I think I actually, I do think I remember that one. Yeah, from the from the nineties. Because it was just so ludicrous. I think mm. I remember it in the news and things. It's the sort of thing we would have read if we'd seen it. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah, for people to do that is just entirely, entirely mad. <laughs> um, I have found some information about Sir William Payne Galway. <laughs> okay. Let me see. I'm intrigued. Let me, I found this on the Victorian Commons website. This is live, people. He was out shooting in the parish of Bagby and mm. in crossing a turnip field fell with his body onto a turnip sustaining severe internal injuries. Um, although all that medical aid could do was done... Uh, this, he was 73 at the time, already in failing health. He did not recover from his encounter with the turnip. <laughs> uh, buried at his local parish church three days later. Right. That's No one has made more mention of this turnip. No one avenged I mean, his I death. Mean, I mean, yeah, he was out with his hunting buddies. <laughs> in a t- Yeah, whatever. <laughs> in a field and he fell down field. and he accidentally fell on a turnip. This is some sort of weird sort of Victorian cruising thing going on there. <laughs> Obviously, the turnip field was the place where everyone hung out. It was the place to be. Bagby. We should find of... out if that was a cruising spot. Yeah. So, <laughs> look at the turnip fields of Bagby for, for for cruising in the Victorian era. There is a picture of him. I think I might use it. He does look rather dashing in his, his hunting outfit yeah. with his hat and his pipe and his massive moustache. <laughs> <laughs> so, there we go. Yes. The, yeah. the, the most intriguing story is a man who was killed, murdered by a turnip. I wonder if his family made a soup. <laughs> what, out of him? Well, no, out of the turnip, but now actually after what we've said, I don't think they'd want to use I, I, that turnip, no. No, not really, no. No, I think no. No, don't want that one, not once it's been inserted about. Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> just well, determined. I mean, it could be. Well, no, I mean, if he, he's fallen, and it, I'm assuming, I don't know, has it gone through his chest? Or maybe it, it just like... his heart as he fell? Or it, he fell and it went through his eye into his brain. <laughs> or maybe it landed um, on a kidney or like the, you know, the kidneys of the liver. He landed really badly. You, 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 went, you went rude with that one. I, I, I did not entirely, go rude with that one. Entirely legitimate sort of <laughs> turn it through the head. How um, quickly you change your mind. <laughs> Don't you try and crawl out of the gutter now. Nick Gordon. Well, what do you think, people? What do you think of our compendium of crazy deaths and weird circumstances? Do you know any more crazy murder stories or or weird methods of murder that are out there or any stories out there that are just quite bizarre rather than dark and depressing? Do you enjoy a turnip? Indeed. Do you enjoy a turnip? What other vegetables are responsible for people's deaths? They must be stopped, people. They are the greatest poison of them all. Oh, imagine falling on a carrot. Oh, that's going to go right through you. Oh, that is better. That's 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 going to come out the other side. And then being swept away in a tidal wave of beer, yeah. covered in vegetables. Jesus Christ! Our food and drink is after us. Tell us what you think. Share more ideas of stories or recommendations for us. Tell all your friends about the Poisoner's Cabinet. And generally, just be careful out there when you're wandering through a turnip field. It's a dangerous place. <laughs> and anywhere near a brewery, stay away from that until February. Thanks for listening, guys. We will see you on Friday for the main episode. We will see you next week for more Deadly Nightcaps. But in the meantime, keep drinking, keep talking about poison, and remember, your loved ones and vegetables are trying to kill you. Bye.